morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Tuesday, the 11th of January, 2022. Welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. China's National Health Commission reported 159 new coronavirus cases in its latest update yesterday, including 99 locally transmitted cases, 23 of which were found in Tianjin. Authorities in Tianjin have ordered citywide COVID testing and residents have also been asked not to leave the city unless necessary. Beijing has urged Carrie Lam to take swift action against officials who attended a birthday party in the midst of an outbreak of COVID-19 cases and also to punish Cathay Pacific for the outbreak of Omicron in the city. In Hong Kong, two pro-Beijing newspapers called for the carrier to be investigated and crew members who violated coronavirus rules criminally prosecuted. The value of Taiwan's exports to mainland China and Hong Kong hit an all-time high of 189 billion US dollars in 2021 because of surging demand for semiconductors. Taiwan's exports to Hong Kong rose 28.7% to $63 billion last year. And Chinese online tutoring company New Oriental said yesterday it has fired 60,000 employees, representing 60% of its workforce, since Beijing banned the $100 billion a year private education industry from making a profit. Revenues have fallen by 80% since the ban, as Chinese parents have switched to foreign competitors via the internet. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Patrick Bennett at CIBC World Markets and Carlos Casanova from UBP. Discussing Asia's frontier markets is Rushir Desai of Asia Frontier Capital. Street overnight. U.S. shares rebounded in the afternoon from sharp losses earlier in the session as Treasury bond yields stabilized following their New Year surge. The Nasdaq Composite Index closed 0.1% higher at 14,943, having fallen as much as 2.7% at one stage in the session and taking it 10% below its all-time high hit in November and into correction territory. The S&P 500 index slid 0.1% to 4,670, its fifth consecutive day of losses, but recovering from falls of 2% at its low of the day. The Dow closed 163 points lower at 36,069, also well off its session lows. In Europe, the Stock 600 index tumbled 1.5%, London's FTSE 100 dropped half a percent. Hong Kong stocks rose Monday, building on last week's gains and shrugging off concerns about the spreading Omicron variant across the city and the prospect of US interest rate rises as early as March. The Hang Seng Index rose 253 points, or 1.1% to 23,747. The Hang Seng Tech Index climbed 2.2%, taking its gains since last Wednesday to 5.7% from the index's all-time low. Alibaba Health Information surged 10.8%, while Guaisho Technology jumped 10.1%. The Shanghai Composite Index edged up 0.4% to 3,594. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield briefly rose above 1.8% on Monday, its highest intraday level since January 2020, before finishing the day unchanged at 1.76%. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is down just over 1% at $81.01 a barrel. Gold is up a third of a percent at $1,802 an ounce. And the US dollar is higher this morning. 
The euro is trading at one dollar thirteen and a quarter cents. The bucks at one hundred and fifteen point two Japanese yen. Sterling is trading at one dollar thirty-five and three quarters and ten Hong Kong dollars and fifty-eight cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.38 versus the dollar in offshore markets, and the price of Bitcoin briefly fell below $40,000 on Monday for the first time since September 2021. It's trading this morning at $41,800. And looking across Asia's stock markets this morning in Australia, the SX200 is off half a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has just opened down about a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea is up half a percent, and looks like the Hang Seng is going to fall about 80 points at the open this morning. Let's go and join our guests over in our Queensway studio, Patrick Bennett, macro strategist at CIBC World Markets. Happy New Year, Patrick. Yeah, Happy New Year. Good morning. And also with us is Carlos Casanova, senior Asia economist at Union Boncaire Privé. Happy New Year to you, Carlos, as well. Good morning and happy new year to you too. I want to start off by asking you about the impact of Omicron um, around China and, and also Asia. As we heard uh, earlier, the, uh, the China's National Health Commission has reported 159 new coronavirus cases, but discovered two Omicron cases in Tianjin and ordered a shutdown of the city. They joined Xi'an, which has been under a lockdown since December the 22nd. And here in Hong Kong, uh, we're also under um, heightened restrictions and travel bans as a result of uh, COVID spreading around the city. And what, what do you, impact do you think this is going to have on both the markets in the region and, and the economies in the region? Well, I, I guess uh, you know, uncertainty is always the, uh, the enemy of markets, and that's what we get uh, introduced with these uh, with these cases you know obviously the case numbers well not obviously but they are you know relatively small versus what we saw uh, in the last couple of years but the you know, the real concern uh, is how long this lasts how long these restrictions last how long we uh, you know this uncertainty prevails and so uh, I think markets have uh, basically shrugged it off to now you know, we're seeing a, a better performance in the last you know, week or so but uh, it's still clouded by that uh, say uncertainty do you think we're overreacting, particularly given that here in Hong Kong, case numbers are, are very, very low, but in effect, we've gone and shut down restaurants again after six o'clock. A lot of countries can't fly um, into Hong Kong, Hong Kong anymore. Given the impact that that could potentially have on the economy, is it an overreaction? I mean, uh, it won't be an overreaction if... Uh you know, if, it, if it's shown in, in the future to have been, you know, successful. But the, you know, the issue is now is it, it's very hard to find, uh, you know, I guess experts, if, if you like, or, or people that can be you know, certain about mm. about how the impact's going to be. Carlos, what, what are your thoughts? What, what's the economic impact of this on, on the mainland and here in Hong Kong? All right, let me cover the, the economic impact then, since that's my <laughs> area of expertise. So we saw lockdowns in Tianjin, but remember that we have um, the second largest port, uh, Ningbo Zhoushan, also um, under lockdown, partial lockdown. So lorries are still able to get in and out, but with some delays. Um, and we also have citywide testing in, in Shenzhen. So there are large areas of the um, of the country that are currently under some degree of um, of lockdown. Um, in terms of activity, we do think that that's going to weigh significantly in the first quarter. We are expecting, you know, around 4% GDP in the fourth quarter of 2021. Entering the first quarter of this year, 
that's going to drop to 3%, even lower as a result of these lockdown measures. That's quite a big slowdown, then. It's absolutely a big slowdown, and, and hence, um, you know, our view on, on, on more stimulus um, in, the, in, in Q1. In terms of the other impact, I would say, is inflation. So I, I mentioned that lorries are still able to get in and out. That is good news um, because there's a lot of demand ahead of Chinese New Year. I think it could be way more um, disruptive for the economy if they didn't allow these green corridors for lorries to get in and out. Um, but the delays will imply some degree of upside risk to both inflation in China, but also global inflation as a lot of the um, areas that are currently impacted, they're also manufacturing hubs. So do expect to see a little bit of upside pressure on inflation as a result. What, what about supply chains here in Hong Kong in particular? We're hearing a lot of stories now of supply chains being damaged because cargo uh, can't fly into the city anymore. Do you see an impact there? Uh, absolutely. We fly a large proportion of our food um, from other parts of the world, in particular uh, fresh fruit um, and meat. Um, so we are expecting to see some degree of inflationary risk in Hong Kong as a result of the lockdown measures. Um, of course, um, it's going to have impacts on consumption. Um, a lot of the uh, entrepreneurs in particular, small businesses are going to be more severely impacted. I'm not sure if um, the chief executive will announce further support um, or whether there will be measures in the budget for this year. My guess would be yes, absolutely. They will They will have to do that in order to um, try to cushion the blow. Um, but it will, it will have an impact on supply chains. It will have an impact on inflation, meaning higher inflation, lower consumption, um, and also through activity as everything effectively stops at 6 p.m., right? So this, that's going to translate into weaker data uh, for this year. And it's also one of the reasons why we have, inside, in fact, decided to downgrade our GDP growth forecast for Hong Kong. Patrick, for, for the rest of Asia, they're sort of shifting to living with uh, COVID and, and that's sort of going to dominate maybe the economic response to the pandemic. Do you think investors are looking at other markets in Asia and thinking that perhaps maybe they, they can outperform because of that approach? Well, I think so. I think, uh, you know, our sense is there's been some, you know, some bargain hunting here in, in Hong Kong over the last week or so. And not that that's, uh, you know, completely unvalidated if you want to look, uh, you know, look further forward. But, uh, yeah, certainly I, I think that becomes the, uh, you know, the mode this year that there's going to be performers and uh, performers and underperformers uh, while we're in an environment of, of inflationary pressures, inflationary risks when we're in an environment of, uh, of interest rates being raised. Uh, at various paces, uh, you know, around the region and around the globe, uh, then we expect to see, you know, to not see just a uh, to uniform performance. And I think that yes, uh, investors you know, may look at um, or may use uh, the openness or you know the relative openness to an economy or the uh, activity allowance of activity under the influence of COVID uh, to be one of those factors which uh, influences their decisions. Well, where do you see around Asia, say, the biggest risk of interest rate hikes in the in the coming sort of few months? Well, in, in Asia, I, I think that uh, uh, India, Korea, uh, you know, Korea has already uh, started on that process. I think they are not overly concerned with the weakness in their currency, but uh, they still, uh, you know, they do want to, they don't want the inflationary impact uh, from that, uh, from that avenue as well. Uh, yes, yeah, so Korea is one that, that, uh, that stands out. Um, Indonesia's holding rates, uh, you know, steady. That's been a, uh, a, a positive uh, for getting the economy, uh, you know, back on um, you know, back on a, a modest uh, path towards uh, towards recovery. Uh, I think most of the influence though, remains to be from the uh, you know from the major economies, from the Fed and, and elsewhere, and just seeing what they do. Carlos, where, where do you see uh, rates rising first in uh, around Asia? 
We, we're seeing this divergency between developed markets and emerging markets. That is not to say that all developed markets will hike, all emerging markets will stay put. Um, but developed markets are better positioned to withstand um, these Omicron risks. And so they are going to be able to get along with their economic recoveries more easily. They have better access to vaccines, etc. And so they are already embarking on this normalization process led by the Bank of Korea, which is, of course, leading the global um, tapering process. It, it's ahead of the Fed in terms of interest rate hikes expected to hike again this month. Um, but, but you are seeing other developed markets in the region also tightening as well, um, including Singapore. Poor Australia abandoning its yield curve control, um, and we do expect to see uh, further tightening in, in, in those markets as well. Uh, within the emerging um, market sphere, I would say because they're more exposed to Omicron risks and the downside uh, risk on activity, they will prefer to stay on hold for as long as possible. The question mark here will be inflation. A lot of the central banks in the region target inflation, and so if inflation does um, pierce through the upper uh, limits of their targets, it is possible that they will have no choice but, but high interest rates. And I, I think in, within the emerging markets, there's one that stands out to me, which is Philippines. I think they're going to potentially be the first ones to implement um, so a pro-cyclical rate hike, meaning when the economy is slowing, they, they have to hike rates. Um, and with Indonesia, better position to hold rates, as, as, um, as Patrick mentioned, for the time being, uh, due to a favorable uh, raise effect on inflation, but also um, the country is benefiting um, uh, and being and able to cope with this outbreak uh, better than, than expected. And of course, the Fed is talking about raising short-term rates in March and then beginning to shrink its holdings of bonds and other assets soon afterwards. Uh, Patrick, we had the jobs report on Friday. Once again, it was a bit uh, mixed. The, uh, the number of new jobs was much lower than expected. But then we did get the unemployment rate dropping uh, below 4% to 3.9%. Do you think that gives the Fed the green light to, to move ahead and start raising rates? Uh, yes, I believe so. I, look, I think that, uh, look, I saw the same reports and said, well, look, there's a bit of a, a mixed report, but I think on balance it was strong. Uh, you know, the wage growth, 4.7% uh, or annual annual growth and the uh, the unemployment rate dipping lower, uh, the participation rate uh, picking up as well, uh, I think all point to, uh, you know, to a recovering labour market. And I think the you know, the Fed needs to get started. I think if we look at uh, interest rates in many developed markets and, and no clearer than uh, the, in the US, interest rates are still incredibly low. You know, we're in, we remain mm. in extraordinary monetary policy times where the level of interest rates does not reflect the level of activity uh, in the economies, uh, let alone um, account or, uh, or or start to you know to quell uh, you know uh, inflationary pressure you know, or inflationary expectations. So I think it's uh, it's time to get moving. Often when you see the beginning of a cycle of interest rate rises, uh, markets tend to perform quite well, or equities tend to perform quite well over that initial period. Do you think that could be the case again uh, in in this cycle? Well, I think we I think we might have already seen that. Um, I think late last year when we were talking about that, um, uh, you know, when we saw the market start to pick up, and I think it always depends why interest rates are being uh, are being raised. If they are being raised just because of inflationary pressure, then that would not be a would not be something which supports assets. Uh, you know, inflation is the thing that will undermine your asset markets. But you know, in the near term, when it, when activity has uh, has picked up, then you know, we do start to see uh, assets perform well. So I think we might have we've been through that inflection point. 
Carlos, the, the, the Fed, it's met its mandate, hasn't it? I mean, the inflation, well, it's above, way above its mandate. It's, its target is 2%. But now on the, on the employment side as well, I mean, we're pretty close to being back to an unemployment rate where we were before the pandemic. So the Fed has achieved its goals, hasn't it? Surely there's nothing left to stop it uh, to start removing this extraordinary monetary accommodation. Sure, correct. The Fed set itself two targets, right? So inflation above 2% and the unemployment rate below 5%. And they're well ahead mm -hmm. of those targets. And so it begs the question, at what point do they start hiking? I think the concern so far has been that a lot of the factors underpinning this performance are supply driven, not necessarily entirely reflective of overheating in the economy. Um, you know, on the labor front, uh, people are not able to, to move to the U.S. to find employment. So that is uh, one of the reasons why unemployment is so low. Um, but having said that, uh, the mandate is, has been met. And so it is time to, to hike interest rates. I would say um, for emerging markets in Asia in particular, there's two things to keep an eye on. First of all, the number of rate hikes in 2022 and 2023. We're expecting three. Um, potentially more or less, depending on, on what happens. But what could be even more disruptive than that is the pace at which they uh, reduce their balance sheet. I think that has a potentially mm -hmm. more disruptive impact on yields uh, and also on outflows from uh, Asia. They could, they could be, in effect, reducing their balance sheet almost as soon as they start raising rates, whereas last time uh, there was a two-year gap between it and then the Fed didn't even get very far in reducing its balance sheet. Can it pull it off this time? Correct. And, and that is uh, what is a little bit spooky for Asian markets. If they I indeed start uh, reducing the size of the balance sheet right after they hike interest rates in March, I think that could be that could lead to um, positive returns on the equity front, but a lot more volatility than expected and, and some markets outperforming others. So I think that's something that we need to prepare for. Patrick, what do you make of this sharp rise we've seen in bond yields since the beginning uh, of the year, the 10-year Treasury yield now at its highest level since early 2020? Is it, it, is, is it a surprise? I don't think it's a particular surprise. I, uh, I, I do think if you ask any uh, bond analyst at the start of the year, they're always, uh, most of them uh, are projecting higher interest rates at the start of every year. And it, it, it certainly hasn't been the case uh, of late. Well, it hasn't, hasn't been the case for the last 25 years when we've been in a, uh, you know, a, a secular bull trend for, uh, uh, for bond markets. Uh, but our position would be, and my own as well, that interest rates at the moment are far too low versus where activity is, versus where mm -hmm. inflation present and inflation expectations are so i think we're in a, a process of uh you know of normalizing uh, interest rates and you know two percent 10-year bond yields uh, given you know gdp given real gdp to around uh you know three and a half or four percent uh are still you know are still on the uh, still on the low side and, and how do you think stocks are gonna cope if we get three or four rate rises this year i think stocks will still do okay i mean i think you know my position's always been uh, you know a buyer of weakness and, and that served us well you've been right for several years on that <laughs> yeah i think uh, and I, as i say i hope my, my pension manager's been doing the same thing <laughs> but i i think that it is, as long as the cost of capital uh, remains below the uh, you know the rate of uh, you know the rate of returns, uh, and we have by and large seen uh, you know seen pretty good earnings by uh, by companies. As long as the, rate, the 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 cost of capital remains below that, then I, I mm. see no reason why uh, uh, equities as a uh, you know as a class should uh, you know should be uh, you know particularly underperformers. Carlos, very briefly, how how do you see markets reacting to three or four rate hikes this year? 
I agree. I, I think conditions remain quite liquid. Um, real rates are very negative. Um, so we are expecting um, to see positive returns on equities. Historically, if you look at previous instances of, of tapering, we, we have positive returns with higher volatility. Um, so potential, uh, this, this time round, it, it shouldn't be any different, albeit um, it might be a little faster than in, in previous times. Thank you both very much. You heard there Carlos Casanova, Senior Asia Economist at UBP, Patrick Bennett, who's Macro Strategist at CIBC World Markets. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.23. Joining me now is Rushir Desai, Fund Manager at Asia Frontier Capital. Happy New Year, Rushir. Good morning, Peter. Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you very much. Now, we've been talking a lot about the performance of Asian markets over, over the past few days. Hasn't been great overall, but then if you look into the frontier market space, there's been some astonishing uh, performances this year. Mongolia up 130%, Sri Lanka 65%, Vietnam 37%. It, it really has been a good year, hasn't it, for Asia's frontier markets? Absolutely. It's been an emphatic year for Asian frontier markets in 2021, actually. So, like you mentioned, there's been significant outperformance by pretty much all the larger markets across the universe like Mongolia which is actually the best was the best performing market in 2021 and also uh, besides Sri Lanka and uh, Kazakhstan also Bangladesh and Vietnam did very well in 2021 as well there are a couple of reasons for that one is as we enter 2021, valuations were pretty attractive across our universe. Even Vietnam uh, was trading at about 15 times forward earnings at the, at the start of 2021. So pretty attractive valuations. And even the other markets were all trading in between 7 and 10 times. So uh, extremely mm. attractive multiples across the board. And that's, that led to some uh, re-rating in multiples. But besides that, I think it's uh, not just the valuations, but also domestic consumption. Industrial activity came back pretty strongly in 2021, despite some of these COVID waves that we saw with respect to Delta variant across our universe. So, for example, exports uh, from from Bangladesh and Vietnam have grown more have grown grown more than 25 percent in 2021. Uh, so, pretty pretty attractive, impressive numbers there. And also, higher commodity prices uh, helped some markets like Kazakhstan and Mongolia. You know, you had higher copper prices, higher coking coal prices. Uh, so, so that also helped uh, some of our markets. But I think more importantly, I think it's. Uh, uh, a, a critical point here is the fact that uh, many of these markets had very strong participation from domestic retail investors. Mm-hmm. So you saw foreign investors selling out, but the domestic investors came back in a very strong way. Uh, for example, in Vietnam, uh, they've seen the highest ever uh, number of uh, retail broking accounts opened in the history of the stock market. So they came, came, came in a very strong way because of lower interest rates. And of course, uh, some this work from home uh, environment, I guess many of them took to trading the stock market. So they came in a very strong way. And that's really help propel uh, the markets across the universe in 2021. Now, we were talking earlier with our guests about the impact of Fed rate hikes on uh, markets in Asia. How are the frontier markets going to cope if the Fed raises interest rates three or four times this year, as as is being predicted? Sure. So I think there are a couple of ways to look at this. One is more on the broader uh, global macro level, if there's uncertainty over how the Fed is going to uh, behave with, with, with its interest rates hikes this year, will it be more aggressive or not? That will affect sentiment, I think, pretty much not just in Asian frontier markets. That will be somewhat of a headwind for emerging markets in the region because of, the, because of what we saw in 2013 and 2018. But I think over here, I think uh, frontier markets as a whole, uh, there's a bit of a difference over here because unlike 2013 and 2018, uh, over the last couple of years, you've seen significant foreign outflows from Asian frontier markets and frontier 
frontier markets as an asset class. So investors have been underweight uh, the frontier markets as an asset class. So this is, it's, it's not like 2013 and 2018 when you had you know worries about the Fed raising rates and there's a lot of foreign capital invested in these markets and foreigners rushed out. It's pretty much the opposite this this uh, this time around because in fact foreigners have been selling over the last 24 months or so across mm. frontier markets. And secondly, I think if you look at the domestic uh, story as well or what's happening domestically. For example, in Vietnam, I think uh, they have enough room to have a loose fiscal and monetary policy at least in the first half of 2022 because they have to recover from uh, the pretty bad effects of the pandemic they had last year which really impacted the GDP growth. So they have to get back to about 6% GDP growth. So the government will do all, all that it can to support the GDP growth. And also I think they're very well placed in terms of inflation because if, if you look at uh, the central bank's target in Vietnam for inflation is about 4% and inflation for the end of at the end of 2021 was 1.8%. So they're well below target. Uh, so they have enough room to you know maneuver despite what the Fed does. So it really depends on, on the market. And like I said, I think... Any, any particular ones that in particular that you would see as being a safe haven from the Fed? Uh, I would say... Uh, I would say countries which have not had a lot of foreign investor interest for the last couple of years. For example, Bangladesh definitely stands out uh, because uh, foreigners have not been very uh, well active in this market. But if you look at the overall macro environment in Bangladesh, it's been very strong. Uh, debt to GDP is extremely low at about 40%, which is, I would say, the strongest uh, macro in South Asia. They'll be getting back to about 6% GDP growth in 2022. And again, very attractive demographics, a large young population with increasing consumption, and more importantly, also rising exports. You know, they're the second biggest garment exporter globally uh, after China now. And mm -hmm. the second market is Uzbekistan, again, uh, a market which is still uh, not very active amongst foreign investors. So I think that market also can do well, uh, despite what the Fed does, because again, they have a very strong macro, low debt to GDP. They'll do about 6% GDP growth in 2022. So I think both these markets stands out. It is of what the Fed does uh, in 2022. And what's the prospect for earnings across the frontier markets? Actually, earnings uh, prospects are, in fact, pretty strong. In fact, earnings have not peaked out, unlike what you've seen in the in, in, in the UK or the US, where they've had a pretty strong reopening of the economy because of high vaccination rates. In fact, in our universe, you know, they've, uh, many countries have not really had the chance to reopen the economy. They had various uh, pretty serious waves of COVID uh, uh, cases over the last couple of months. And that's not really allowed them to really re reopen the economies. But that's changing now. Vaccination rates have increased significantly across the universe. In fact, Vietnam has a very high vaccination rate where uh, I would say majority of the, uh, of the adult population is fully vaccinated. And mm. the vaccination rates are increasing across our universe as well. So that's really helping them reopen the economies. So earnings, in fact, will be growing from a very low base in 2022 compared to 2021. Mm. So so pretty strong earnings uh, prospects for our markets. Uh, let, me, let me ask you about two specific markets which are very much uh, in the news. First of all, Kazakhstan. I mean, Kazakhstan's really been hit uh, by an inflation problem, hasn't it? Right, it's rising food and fuel prices, and that is now the demonstrations against that have spread out into a much wider range of broader grievances. Does what we're see, seeing now in Kazakhstan change the outlook for investment in the country? Actually, not particularly, because actually these protests which happened, it was uh, it's actually to carry on by surprise. It's not that they were building up over the last couple of months. Uh, because if you look at the, again, the macro in Kazakhstan is pretty strong compared to other markets uh, in the region. They have a very low debt to GDP, high, high foreign exchange reserves. And more importantly, the last uh, couple of years have been pretty, pretty uh, strong for the, for the economy because commodity prices have been high. And Kazakhstan has, is a commodity exporter. So in fact, uh, they have they've had pretty good economic growth over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, so I think this, uh, you know, th these protests, of course, came as a surprise. Mm -hmm. and, and, and with respect to, you know, what you're seeing in the news about inflation causing these protests, yes, to some extent it could be true. But if you look at the inflation number, 
October and November was 8.7%. Of course, it's high, but not as high as you know places like Turkey or mm. or some of the other markets where mm. uh, inflation is much higher. And also c- compared to historical numbers, inflation was about 16% in 2016. So inflation numbers are much lower now. Mm-hmm. So I think there's uh, a bit more to these protests than just inflation. Of course, we'll have to wait for you know some more news to come out and some more. Uh, uh, detail, details to come, come out but I would say Kazakhstan okay. the story still remains strong and let me very briefly because we're running out of time ask you about Sri Lanka the uh, the Chinese uh, foreign minister is there Sri Lanka's been suffering from a financial crisis and wants to renegotiate its debt uh, with China despite that it did very well last year the market was up 65% um, what, what's the outlook there? Well, uh, with respect to the stock market performance, yes, it did very well. But again, it was led completely by domestic investors, not by foreign investors. Uh, and over here, also the lower interest rates and the fact that retail participation increased significantly led to the market doing very well. Uh, so that led to the recovery in the stock, or, or a very good performance in the stock market. And I think what we've seen across many of these markets where there is concern over the government finances or inflation, for example, uh, over the last two years, you had these prime examples of Argentina and Lebanon, where they had very strong stock market rallies despite the government finances not being in order but uh, but the markets did very well because of high inflation and you're seeing that in in Sri Lanka as well Mm -hmm. now inflation has been pretty high over the last couple of months at more than 10% and with respect to the macro yes I think it's obviously for as a foreign investor it's it's not probably a market one would be overweight on because the fact that uh, you know they may have to go to the IMF or they may also have to restructure the debt so we have to wait and watch it to see how that goes. Rushir, thanks very much. That's Rushir Desai, fund manager at Asia Frontier Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets this morning, the SX200 down 0.4% in Sydney. In Tokyo, the Nikkei 225 is flat. In Seoul, the South, uh, the Cosby up half a percent. And here in Hong Kong, looks like a decline for 80 points or so for the Hang Seng at the Open. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Please join me again tomorrow morning at uh, 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Janice Wong and Ada Wong in just a moment. The weather forecast for today, cool in the morning. It's going to become fine and dry. Maximum temperature of around 19 degrees and remain cool in the morning for the next couple of days. It's 14 degrees right now, 71% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Andrew Shorosky with the half-hour news. Health authorities say they didn't find any COVID-19 cases in a lockdown at a block in Meifu. The lockdown operation, prompted by the discovery of a resident who tested preliminary positive, took place at 5 to 7 Nassau Street, Meifu-Sun Chun, Phase 5. About 340 residents were tested in the operation. Meanwhile, the government has included 39 places in its compulsory testing notice, including a Sushiro restaurant in Taipo Mega Mall and the Aberdeen Sports Ground. It comes after the discovery of one import-related case and another that's possibly import-related, as well as seven preliminary positive cases. A pharmacist group has called on the government to lower the minimum age for people to receive a BioNTech COVID vaccine to five. Right now, children as young as 12 are allowed a jab, while advisors have said Sinovac is fine for children as young as three. The chairman of the Society of Hospital Pharmacists, William Choi, says a British study shows that giving younger children one-third of the adult dose is safe and effective, with a booster shot 21 days later. Mr. Choi said parents may want another option. As you know, the Beyonce vaccine can produce a high level of neutralizing antibody. That's why our society also suggests the government not only consider Sinovac vaccine, but also the Beyonce vaccine, because we believe that some of the parents, they may consider higher level of uh, neutralizing antibody caused by the Beyonce vaccine. 
Meanwhile, Pfizer, which distributes the BioNTech vaccine outside China, says it expects a COVID-19 vaccine targeting the Omicron variant to be ready in March. Its chief executive officer says the firm is already manufacturing doses due to keen interest from governments, as authorities contend with the huge COVID-19 infection counts. Moderna also says it's developing a booster that could address Omicron and other emerging strains in the fall of 2022. Russia's Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Rabkov has warned the United States not to underestimate the risks of confrontation with Moscow over Ukraine. Speaking after a round of talks in Geneva, Mr. Rabkov also said there was a basis for agreement and compromise was needed. For her part, the U.S. Deputy Secretary of State, Wendy Sherman, said the Russians had told her they didn't intend to invade Ukraine and that a buildup of Russian troops on the border was just maneuvering. In an audio call with reporters,